Well, hello. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. I hope you are doing well. I want to say welcome to everyone in the room. Welcome especially to all of our first-time guests, like Savannah mentioned. We're so glad to have you here. But then also, welcome to everybody joining us online, or, you know, it could be somebody listening much later in the week, so just pretend like now it's now. Anyways, good to see you. Glad to have you here. My name is Taryn Howell. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. We are just so grateful to have you here with us and excited to get into this new sermon series. But I've got a few quick announcements before I get into it. I want to just kind of repeat what Savannah said. If you're not in a small group, they started last week, but even last week was Labor Day weekend. And so I know some people, some of the groups may not have even started yet. This is the perfect time to get in a small group. I just got to say, right now we're in a time that people are more disconnected than ever, and so this is a great way for you to get connected. So sign up for a small group, get involved, and watch your relationship with others grow and your relationship with God grow. And then the other thing I want to mention, which really is going to lead me into this sermon series, is that I'm not going to give too much of it, just like, I'll just give you a little bit, but we have just started, recently started, uh, working with uh, Dr. Erica Carr. I like to call her Dr. Carr because I knew her before she was doctor. I don't see her in here right now, but she leads our first impressions team. She does this for other organizations. She does strategic planning, and so she helped to guide us through, and there was about 20 of us or 25 involved, and we're doing a strategic plan for First City for the next three years. And in this process, though, one of the things that we've been thinking through is really what are the goals that God has for First City? You know, not, not what do we want to see happen, but what does God want to see happen? And in the process of thinking about that, in the process of preparing for this sermon series, Bait of Satan, you know, God put it on my heart, and I just thought, what are the goals that Satan has for First City? You ever thought about this, the goals that Satan has for your life? for your marriage, for your family, because I, I know that he has goals for us. And I, I think one of the main goals that Satan has is to divide us, to be divisive. Because when a church is divided, when a family is divided, uh, then we can no longer really focus in on what God has in store for us. We spend our energy, we spend our time trying to be unified, and, and Satan, I believe, if he can divide us and make us upset with each other and mad at each other, and, and then he is accomplishing a lot more than just dividing us because he's saying that, look, you're not going to be able to get done what God has in store for you. And I'm going to tell you right now, we are in a divisive time. I don't, even, I don't have to tell you this even. You, you know this. We are in a very divisive time. So we're starting this sermon series. It's going to be six weeks long. Uh, it's based, it's called The Bait of Satan. It's based on a book written by John Bevere called The Bait of Satan. And we read this together as a staff, as staff and elders read this together at the end of last year. And I'm going to tell you, it is one of the most challenging, most incredible books that I've ever read. I'll just speak personally to it. Outside of the Bible, this book has had the greatest impact on my life than any other book. It, it has really changed the way I think, the way I treat people, the way uh, I, I see Jesus and what he's done for me. I don't say this about a lot of books, but you know, it's, it's in the top two or three of just one. It has impacted me so greatly, and it did for our whole team. And so this is something that we want to take our time. We're going to go six weeks through this and share this and what it has in store. I still would recommend for you to go buy the book and read it. And so it may be a little bit of a repeat if you're reading it and then hear it, but that's okay. 
it's good to hear this more than once to focus in on it. And here's what the book is about, really. I just, just give you this primarily one word. The book is about offense, about being offended. We live in a time where people are offended. Everybody's offended. I mean, and that's not just non-Christians. That's Christians. Everybody is, seems to be finding offense in different areas. So I want you to do me a favor as we're getting into this series. Sometimes whenever we get into something like this, it's easy to think, well, I... I don't know that I really need this. I don't know that this is for me. Like, it sounds good, but I, you know. And I want you to just remove any of that and ask God to open up your heart and your mind to what he has in store for you and let him speak into your life during this. Because I truly believe this has the power really to change you and to set you free. Uh, John does a great job of opening up the words of Jesus and speaking them into our life in in an easy way to take in. A very challenging way, but easy for us to understand. So let's let's pray together as we get into it, and we'll see what God has in store. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for each and every person in this room, each and every person listening online. Lord, I pray as we get into this series that you would be glorified through this. Today, let it not be my words that are heard, but your words, God, that your words would ring true and that everybody listening would be changed because of what is said. Help us to not be people that are easily offended, but to be people who easily forgive, who easily seek to love and be generous with our time, with our energy, with everything. Lord, we thank you for the way that you love us, and we thank you most of all for your sacrifice on the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, offense is talked about quite a bit in the Bible. Uh, Jesus mentions it himself, but a lot in the Bible. And we're going to read from a couple different areas. I'm kind of going to skip uh, you know, about. So you can follow along in the sermon notes. They're in the backs of the pews in front of you if you'd like to do that. Uh, you can also open up your Bibles. We'll be in Luke 17 and Matthew 24 primarily. But again, I'm skipping around a lot today. So we'll start... In Luke 17, this is where Jesus talks about offense himself. And he said, he's saying to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. So don't be the woe to you, don't be the one to create offense. But it doesn't matter who you are, unless you're maybe living in a cave somewhere, it's impossible that offenses would not come. I mean, they're, they're going to come. They're going to happen to you. Now, this word offenses, some of your Bibles, if you're reading it in your Bible, you may see that well, mine, mine says temptation. And that's a good word for it too. Really, the, the root word for this, and this is really important to understanding the whole of what we're going to be talking about and getting into, is scandalon, which is where we get our word scandalous. So it's impossible not to have some scandalous activity in your life, you know. Uh, and it's the movable stick or trigger of a trap. So this is the, the part of the trap that really hooks you in. I, I had a conversation, and I, I want to, I've got a little something i got to get back here. But I had a conversation uh, with Matthew Campbell a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about kind of this series and kind of something that he was facing and just, uh, you know, how Satan is working to make him think something. He used, anyways, he used this line, and I thought, that's so good. I'm going to steal that, okay? I, gotta, I had to take that from you. He said, you know what Satan does? This is what he told me. You know what Satan does? Satan puts a cupcake on a hook, so I had to, I had to get this, okay? I just want to, I'm not trying to hide in the back here behind the TV, and I am not a great fisherman, but here we go, okay? 
Now, doesn't that look tempting, right? <laughs> it wouldn't stay on there. I had to like shove my finger all the way through and then wrap it around. I thought, you know, it'd be really fun is to try and get this in the balcony, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that, okay? <laughs> we got hands up. Somebody, like, you don't understand. There is an actual hook in here. You don't want this, okay? But think about this. This is what Satan does. This is exactly what Satan does, is he gives us something that looks sweet. And I know this may not look that great, and it's hanging off a of it. Like, this is obvious, right? But he gives us something that, that looks good, but then you bite into it, and you realize there's a hook in there. There's something in there that catches you and keeps you, and you can't get off of it. You can't get free of it. And the reason that I think temptation is a good word in here and defense is because a lot of times that trap is a temptation. It's a temptation into sin, but a lot of times that trap is an offense. Somebody comes and offends you, and you bite into it. And what it looks like to bite into it is you, you give into that, and you think, it's time for me to fight back. Right? We can, we can all relate to this. Okay, so some, it really, if somebody wants this afterwards, you feel free to come and get this, okay? But I, I don't think you do. But I, just, I, I had to just show that. Oh, sorry, I had missed the box back there, but we're going to leave it alone. But th this is what Satan does to us. He shows us something that looks really good on the outside, looks really great. It looks like that's the life I want. That's the life I desire. This is better than following God. And then you get into it, and you don't even know how to get out of it. And it's miserable, you're in a miserable spot. And this is the trap that he sets for us. Now, Jesus goes on to say, and this is such a powerful section of Scripture. He goes on to say, so this is just a few verses later. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. So you want to correct them. And if they repent, forgive them. Okay. So far, so good. We can do that. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day. I want you to think about that. So they come up and slap you in the face, like, I forgive you. And they slap you again, I forgive How many times is it like, okay, can we cut that out? Seven times in a day, they come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Now here's what Jesus doesn't mean in this. He doesn't mean that seven is the magical number and that when they get to eight, that's when it's time to slap back, right? That's not, that's not what Jesus is saying. Seven is really represented in the Bible oftentimes as a number of completion. It means there is no limit there's no limit. And the apostles were blown away by this. Now you have to think, the apostles had been with Jesus for a while now. This is later on in the ministry. They had seen Jesus raise people from the dead. They had seen him heal, you know, there's paralytics, cripples that they begin to walk again and they've never walked their whole life. He gives sight to the blind. He gives hearing to the deaf, you know, speech to the mute. He casts out demons. And so they've seen all this, and listen to their response to this, though. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Whew. Like, okay, I know I've seen you raise somebody from the dead, but I don't know how to forgive like that. Like, that's, that's big. How do I do that? It, it causes them to doubt even. Increase our faith, because that is, I think that's too much for me to take on. That's too difficult. And so the apostles are really astounded by this, you know, really blown away by it. And 
Jesus goes on later in, in Matthew 24. He's talking about offense again, which we're going to move to. But I, w- I want to pause for just a second in this and do something a little different. He's, in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the end times, and the disciples are asking when he's coming back. He's, Tell us when these things will happen. This is the Olivet Discourse. It's the week that he is about to go to the cross. And so Matthew 24. And he, begin, he answers them, and, and the first thing he says... Oop, missed one. And then many, during this time, many will be offended. Now, do you think we're living in a time when many people are offended? Now, I want you to think about this for your own life. So think about maybe the past month of your life. Now, it doesn't have to be a major offense. It could be somebody cut you off in traffic. And I know that you're such holy people. No one cursed or threw up any fingers or anything. Maybe a thumbs up. That's all right. Go ahead, you go right in. Uh, yeah, that, that's the only one, right? That's the only ones we do because, you know, whatever. <laughs> None of you, I'm, cert- I'm certain of it. Uh, but no, no th- so it could be a small offense like that or it could be a, a larger offense where somebody talks about you. It could be somebody really close to you. I want you to think, and, and just raise your hand, how many, I'm not saying how you handled it, how you responded, I'm not implying anything there. How many of you in the past month have had some offense come your way? Raise your hand, raise your hand. I, I don't know how you can't have offense come your way in a month. Okay, I just want you to think about it now. now we're going to narrow it down. How many of you in the past week, anybody the past week? Oh, yeah. I got eight kids. Like, that, somebody is offending me all the time. Somebody. Well, the youngest is like five months. She's probably good. The rest of them. Okay, how many of you, I'm just interested in this now. How many of you today have had offense come to you? Oh, look, we got a couple. I want to hear those stories, so afterwards, if you'll come to me. <laughs> yeah, two hands up right here. That's like, wow, it's a rough morning. I'm sorry. But it, it happens all the time. Offense takes place all the time. We are in an offense-riddled society. It's everywhere. I mean, you, look, you can't even go online on social media to anything. Everybody, people are looking for ways to be offended. And Jesus says, this will happen in the end times, when it's coming close to my return, many will be offended, and then they will betray one another. Now, we think of betrayal as worst-case scenario, Benedict Arnold, you know, Judas Iscariot, etu brute. You know, we, we, we think of like the worst-case scenario, but betrayal doesn't really mean that necessarily. It even does mean that. It's not always that extreme. You see, whenever you're in a place where you are offended, uh, well, let me, let me approach it this way. Whenever you're a place where you're not offended, you're following the Lord, it's good, your relationship, your walk with the Lord is good, people aren't offending you, life is good, you are loving and generous, you want to give to other people and serve to other people, this is what our relationship with the Lord and other people is supposed to look like, but when you've been offended, instead of giving, you protect, it becomes all internal. I'm doing what I can to protect myself. And betrayal really is just that you seek to protect yourself or benefit yourself at the expense of somebody else. At somebody else's expense. I'm willing to run you over as long as it benefits me. And so this, many will be offended, and then many will betray one another, and it will lead to hate. Don't know hate one another. So there's this progression here, and the progression keeps going. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Well, who are they going to lead astray? The ones who are in this offended mindset. Because when you're in this offended mindset, you are open to deceit. 
you believe lies more easily because you're not in this close relationship with God. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This lawlessness is just not following God's law. Look around us. This is what, what we're living in. And then the love of many will grow cold. This is almost, if you've ever heard of the example of the, the frog in the kettle, you know, you put a frog in a boiling water and they jump right out. But if you put a frog in and you slowly turn up the heat, they get used to the heat and used to the heat and then they die. And this is, you almost given the opposite picture here. That our love is going to grow cold because we're living in offense. We're offended, we're offended, we're so angry, we're so upset, and our love begins to grow cold for the people around us. And you can look at this and say, well, maybe this is talking about non-Christians, but we know it's talking about Christians. Look at the next, but he who endures to the end will be saved. This, this, is, this is us right here. This is what we can be living in. And it may start off as something minor. I don't think this necessarily starts off as somebody cutting you off in traffic. I think it's a little bigger than that. But it can lead to major loss. So how does this happen? Well, I think, again, I don't think it's these minor offenses that do this. I do think it's a major offense. Well, where does major offense occur? A major offense always occurs with somebody that you're the closest to, with a friend, with somebody that you love, somebody that you're in relationship with. In Psalm 55, we read, it is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. Like, that wouldn't be that big of a deal. I'm expecting that from an enemy. It is not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, and my close friend, what good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. So we were in such good relationship that we were walking together to go worship God, you know, walking to go worship God together, but you've betrayed me. You know, there's, there's offense there now that's driven that apart. And this is the, the ugliest form of offense. The one you want to retaliate against the most is the one that you're closest to. This is why divorce courts are the ugliest courts. That's when things, things get wicked in divorce courts. Civil wars are the worst kind of wars. You know, the bloodiest wars. If you ever hear an article and some man was, or somebody was stabbed, you know, like 67 times, you know that's a, a, you know, a crime of passion right there because they were dead like 60 stabs ago, right? They, I mean, they, they, were, they were gone. It was somebody who was out with a vengeance. It was, you know it was somebody they were close to. Because when a friend offends you, it's way harder than when an enemy does it or somebody you're not close to. You can, you can get rid of that. Okay, so here's, here's what we've covered so far. First is that we, we will face offense. We know that. Jesus said that. If we don't deal with the offense, it will get worse. And then also the worst type of offense comes from a friend. So how do we know, though, that we've been offended? Because I think it's easy for us to say, well, I'm not really offended. I'm, I'm kind of upset with this person. We're on rocky terms, but I'm not offended. And so I think there's a couple of ways to test this. I'm sure there's more than what I'm even going to say, so you can look into that too, have your own. I don't know. These are just mine that I came up with. I think one way to know if you're offended, maybe this is like the, you might be a redneck. You might be offended... <laughs> You might be offended if when you hear that person's name, you just cringe at the name. You, you, you just get tense. You don't even want to hear their name. Or you might be offended if you hear that person's name and somebody praises that person. 
Like, oh, I was with them, and they are, you know, so wonderful, and they, they and you want to, you almost want to correct that, and be like, man, if you really knew them the way that I know them, or if you, you know, and there's something in you that just, I want to fight back at that. Here's one, this is a surefire one here. If, you might be offended if when you hear something about this person, you want them to fail. Do you ever have this in your head? You think about somebody, and you're like, I really just, I, I don't want them to be successful. I hope they have a miserable week. You know, that you are offended. There is something in you that is not of God because God does not have that spirit. And so you are probably harboring offense towards this person. If you seek for them to fail, for them to be miserable, for them, their finances to not work and their business to not grow and their family to not be successful, whatever it is, if you rejoice in that, in their suffering, I would say you're offended. And that's something you need to check. So I've got here in, on the back of the sermon notes, I'm going to go through five steps towards freedom. And we ha- we're going to do this, something similar to this, some of the weeks, some of the other weeks, maybe most of the weeks. But five steps towards freedom, if you're living in offense right now, because I believe many of us are, whether you know it or not, even that you are, I believe many of us are towards somebody. We could probably write down a name of, you know, this is somebody that I think I'm carrying offense. Maybe some of you, it's been a long, long, years-long relationship with somebody that you've really offended. But here's five steps to kind of get you started on how to uh, move towards freedom to get out of this trap. And I'm going to give you these five steps, and I'm going to give you a verse with it, at least one verse, and then something practical that we can do to make progress in this. So the first one is examine your heart. Examine your heart. Psalms 139, we read, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. You know, right now in our culture, we are looking for the things that offend me. Like, you did this, you offended me, you know, because I'm so prideful and I'm so worth, worthy of being offended. And we, we you know, we want to point that out in other people, but this is the perfect response. Instead, We don't worry about what's going on around us. We say, God, look at me, search me and know me. What is it in me that you want to remove? What is it in me that's offensive to you, God? Help me to get rid of that. And so I think, you know, the answer to this is really the practical step in this is to just ask the Holy Spirit to expose that in your own life. God, what are the areas in my life where I'm missing it? What are the areas of my life where I'm holding offense, I'm holding bitterness or anger or resentment to anybody and expose that, get rid of that? Step two is adjust your expectations. This may seem like a small one. I think this is a, this is a big one here. I love how it's said in Colossians. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So, in other words, make room, make allowance, make room, you know, make allowance in your budget. You make room in your life for other people. Expect for other people to mess up because, you know, you mess up too. Like, you don't really have it going on either. Like, you're messing up. You get it wrong. You needed Jesus to die just as much as the next person, right, so that you can be freed. And so, remember that. 
remember to focus in on that, that, listen, they messed up, but I mess up too. That's okay. That, that's what grace is all about, making this allowance for other people. Because the thing is, you want somebody to do it for you, but we don't necessarily want to do this for everybody else. And, and I would say a real practical thing to do is, this, this is a practice I, I learned a long time ago. I'm still learning it. I don't have it figured out, but it's assuming the best. And this isn't in your notes. You can write this down. This is, I don't remember even who I heard this from, but this was so good. I began to try and live this out. Um, but assume the best of someone. So here, let me just give this to you practically. Let's just say I'm supposed to meet my wife somewhere. Uh, and she's, you're rarely ever late, okay? I mean, she, come on, she's barely, uh, she's got a bunch of kids with her. And so, you know, so I, this is what I used to do. Oh, it was awful what I used to do. I'd get so upset if she was, if she was running late. Like, we're supposed to meet at this time, and like, what are you doing? And here's what you can do is you can have it in your mind if, if you're supposed to meet somebody and they're running late. And what you can say is, well, they were supposed to meet me at this time. They're running late. They should have known that there was traffic. They must not really care about what, we're, what we have planned. I don't think they even really care about me. Otherwise, they would have been here on time. Like, what's going on with them? What are they doing? What's wrong with them? So you could say that, or you could take the approach and just assume the best. You know, maybe they've had a really rough day today. Maybe they ran into some traffic. I wonder if there's anything that I need to do to serve them, to help them out. You know, taking that, uh, just a different approach to it, changing your mindset on that. And I, I believe instead of, instead of focusing on the faults, you focus on how you can serve this person. But assume the best. Assume they're out working to get there. They may have something going on. They may have car trouble. It doesn't matter. We're going to assume the best of that and adjust our expectations in this. Okay, the third one, third one. Step three is to demolish strongholds. Demolish strongholds. Proverbs 18, 19 says, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. Now, you think Solomon wrote Proverbs, and what did a strong city have around it that protected it? Walls. Walls. Very, very, very simple. Now, it's stated a little differently in the New Testament, this, this word. And so, in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, we read this. It says, for though we walk in the flesh... We do not war according to the flesh. So even though we're people and we have skin and bones and blood and organs and all kinds of things, though we walk in the flesh, that's not where the battle is. And hopefully you know this. Like we are in a battle. We're, we're, there is spiritual warfare constantly going on. We are in a battle, but we don't war according to the flesh. You can't attack spiritual warfare with a gun or something. It doesn't work. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not of the flesh, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So Paul is saying there is a battle that's going on, and this, this word stronghold means a big castle or fortress with impenetrable walls really but he's not obviously he's not talking about physical things he just explained that he's talking about either mental or spiritual or both that there is there is a weapon that we use to fight this these strongholds that are put up these mental blocks that are put up put up and here's how you know it's mental because then what we should do is bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ how do I give this thought to Christ. I'm worried about this. I'm focused on this. How do I give that 
to God. Now, a stronghold referred to here is really just talking about a way of thinking. There's a way of thinking that when we are offended, we are given, we have, we begin to build these false accusations in our mind. I remember, this was years ago, years ago, I, I had a real struggle with a friend of mine, and I, I became so offended by them, uh, and this was over the course of even several years, and I became offended by him. I don't even know how it started. I, I mean, I really don't know how it started, uh, but it began to build, and then anytime I would hear something about this friend, like if he said some, if he talked to a family member of mine or a friend of mine, I would think, see, I knew it. I knew that's what he was doing. He was being, he meant it this way, and he was, and I I kept adding on blame that wasn't even his fault. It was just Satan was building this in me until eventually God exposed it in me, or maybe eventually I listened to God <laughs> exposing this in me. And I went to him. I went to the friend, and I, I said, I'm sorry. I've been holding this against you. I've been withholding forgiveness, and I don't really even know why. And he told me, he responded, he said, look, I knew, you had, I knew you were upset with me about something, but I did not know what I was doing. I didn't even know. And that, you know, I got to respond with, no, you didn't do anything. This was a stronghold that I had in my life. Now, I didn't understand strongholds at that time the way that I do now, and I'm still learning. But it's, I kept believing a lie and believing a lie as it grew worse and worse until I listened to God exposing this to me. I love what uh, David Wilkerson says about this. And it's a long quote, but this is, this is good stuff here. A stronghold is an accusation planted firmly in your mind. Satan establishes strongholds in God's people by implanting in their minds lies, falsehoods, and misconceptions. The devil may try to convince you that you have a right to hold on to bitterness because you've been wronged. Just think about that for a second, that you have the right to, to be bitter, to be upset because you've been wronged. He'll try to destroy your marriage by persuading you. You can't endure this relationship any longer unless your spouse changes. If you keep listening to his lies, you'll begin to believe them after a while. Man, that is so true. If you've ever experienced this, I'm telling you, I know that I have. And it, it is so true. We begin to, we offended people. It's, it's so easy to be deceived when you're in this spot and to believe these lies. And so you got to demolish any strongholds you get to have in your life. Pray against them. And, and I think a practical step to do this, you can pray about it, but I think another great practical step is to go and find a third party. Seriously, like, I know this may seem a bit of a stretch. Go and find a third party and tell them. And let them, that, that somebody that you trust in the Lord that will guide you, that will, that will speak life into you and maybe challenge you if you're wrong, tell them what's going on. Say, hey, I'm, I'm concerned I may be seeing this wrong. I may not be filtering this right. And let it be somebody who can say, yeah, you're missing it. You're missing it. You got, you got to change in this. And then listen to what they're saying. Have somebody else speak because we are blinded by our wrongdoings so often. It's so easy to see everybody else's. I wish, you know, I wish it were as easy to see mine, but other people can see mine pretty easily, but it's hard for me to see myself, and that's the same for you. We all have trouble seeing ourselves, so go and find somebody to speak to about this. And then number four, this is a, this is a short one I have because we've already really talked about it, but break the chain reaction. And our, our verse here, again, we already went over this, Matthew 24, not 10 through 13, just 10. 
the many will be offended, and then lead to betrayal and lead to hate. Listen, this, this is the advice I have for this one. As soon as you're offended, as soon as you, to not travel down this path, the, I believe the best thing that you can do, as soon as that person cuts you off on the road, pray blessings over that person. Now, it's going to sound weird, but just do it. It's good. I'm, I'm trying to build this muscle in my head to remember to do this. And I, I'm telling you, as soon as they cut you off, just, Lord, I don't know what they have going on. Will you just bless them and their family, help them to get there safely? And you may sound crazy doing this, but that's okay, because following Jesus is sometimes a little crazy. But just pray over them. Pray blessings onto their, into their life, because that's what you would want somebody to do for you in your worst moments. And just love them anyways through it. And there won't even be room for offense. You'll, you'll move past it so much quicker. So break that chain reaction. And then the last one we have, step five, is pursue oneness. And this is from Ephesians 4.13. Pursue oneness. In case you missed it, I went quickly. Make it your aim to be at one in the spirit. And you will inevitably be at peace with one another. This is, this is brilliant. You don't want to read this too quickly and miss it. Your first aim is to be at one with God. Be at one with God. And then you will be at peace with one another because whenever your relationship with God is solid, when you have a solid relationship with God, you are not easily offendable or offended. You know, somebody can say something to you and it can bounce off a, a lot easier. When your relationship with God is not solid, those things can take over. Those things can really sit on you, and you go back to them, and you go back to them, and you're hooked in. You're getting hooked into it. And so make your aim to be a peacemaker. Make it to be one in the Spirit. Be unified with the Spirit. And I, I, I think the, part of the way we do this in the church, that we should do this, is really like a Matthew 18 principle. You ever, Matthew 18 tells you how to handle some conflict in the church. It's like if somebody offends you, you go right to them. You don't go and talk to, hey, let me tell you what this person did. And we, we do this under the guise of, I need you to help me pray for them. You know, like we're so holy and I need you to help me pray and let's, let's fast together for a little bit. And, you know, no, you go to this person, hey, you offended me. And I, I, you may have done it intentionally. You may have done it unintentionally. I'm just letting you know where it is so that the person can respond. And then their response should be, I'm so sorry. How can I work to do this better in the future? It, you know, it should be that simple. It's just not. And, I, and, and now, this is, should be how it works in the church, too. Not necessarily people who don't follow Jesus. I know the expectations are a little different there. But this is, this is a great step to take. So, my last thing. My last thing I want to go over. I think part of the reason that offense is such a trap, and we mentioned it before, is because when somebody offends you, especially somebody close to you offends you, you think you have the right, maybe even the responsibility to fight back. I got to retaliate. I got to retaliate with my words, with my actions. I'm going to ignore them. I'm going to, whatever, whatever it is, we think we have the right to do that. And so my last point for us to just land on, I want you to just mull this over, think about this, is that when you say yes to Jesus, when you say yes to Jesus, that means you remove your right to be offended. You don't, you don't even have the right to be offended anymore. Now, I know this sounds a little crazy, but when you surrender your life to Jesus, you give up the right to be offended. 
Let me share this verse with you. One of my favorite verses of all time. I love this. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when I'm offended... I need to, like Paul said, you know, Paul's saying, Paul is no longer here. It's Christ living in me. I know he's symbolizing this, but when I'm offended and I have, I don't get to hold on to that because I'm dead. We died to our old life. This is what baptism even represents, the death, burial, and resurrection, what it symbolizes. So if you are, have surrendered to Jesus, been born again, you have died to your old life. And what does a dead person care about being offended? Right? I mean, nothing. What does a dead person care about being offended? I had this conversation with my wife. This is a couple months ago. It's, I don't even remember when this was. It's a little morbid, so I'm sorry. But we had just gone to a funeral or something, and we were talking about, you know, what if you know, one of us dies? Like what? And I, I, I don't remember how we even got to this, but I, I told my wife, I was like, listen, if I'm dead, I don't care what you do. I don't care if you have a funeral. I don't care. Do whatever you want. I said, listen, if it weren't illegal, you can just throw me in the golf. I don't care. Like, come on. What does it matter? I'm dead. I don't care. And this should be the same way that we see offense. Listen, I, I live for Christ. So I, I guess maybe you can offend Christ if you want. He definitely, you know, he's bigger than that. He can handle it. We remove all of our right to be offended. So here's, here's what I want us to land on today. If, if this is you at all, if, this is, if there's anything in you that is offended, that is carrying something, you, you have to be in prayer. You have to let that go. Now, we're, I'm, I'm just doing an introduction into this. We're going to get much, much farther into this. But we're about to move into a time of communion together, and this is a time that we remember and we celebrate what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. But after I pray and we go into this time of communion, feel free to come up and take it right away if you want. There's some set up in the back and up top and you know down here. Feel free to get up and do that right away or maybe you just pause for a moment if you'd like and just be in prayer and just ask, Holy Spirit, is there anything in me that offends you? Am I holding offense against anybody? What is it in me that you want to remove and listen and be obedient to what he says before you take communion so let's pray together and then we'll open this up feel free to come up right away or pause and just reflect on what god has in store but let's pray